All right, to quickly review where we began this series last week. Last week, we began this series about fear by saying that fear is not the actual problem. That's a surprise to some of us, that fear is not the problem, that we were actually created by God with the ability to fear for our good and for our protection. So fear isn't the problem that we think it is. The problem is that we fear all of the wrong things and all the wrong people. So rather than teaching for this series, rather than teaching how to overcome fear, last week we began with this simple idea, instead of trying to eliminate fear, what if we learn to point our fear in the right direction toward the right place and the right Person. And last week, we ultimately left off with the simple but powerful truth that the only thing to fear in life is being on the wrong side of holy God. That the only thing to fear in life, the only thing I have to fear, the only thing that you have to fear, the only thing that we actually should fear is being on the wrong side of, of holy God. And that when we get on the right side of holy God, when we have a fear placed in the right direction, we actually have no reason to fear anything or anyone else. Now, last week I told you that we're not going to go big into how to overcome or eliminate fear, but building on what we talked about last week, I do want to spend the next two weeks talking about how to face two of the most common fears that we often face throughout life. Because if it's true that fear can paralyze us, we need to know how to confront and face our most common fear so that our fear doesn't paralyze us or keep us from what God ultimately would have for us. Now, in a Psychology Today survey, survey of therapists asked what the most common fears, not phobias, they that, that they help people walk through, um, 12 fears stood out from the pack in a big way. Here's the top 12. Fear of failure, fear of success, fear of public speaking, fear of rejection, fear of making the wrong decisions, fear of other people's opinions, fear of responsibility, fear of saying the wrong things, fear of being exposed as an imposter, fear of commitment, fear of challenge, fear of missing out. Now there's some funny stuff in there. Number one fear, fear of failure. And that's the top by a long way. Number two, fear of success. So we don't want to fail, but we also don't want to succeed too much. Some people don't like, and ironically, a lot of people have both a fear of failure, and a fear of too much success, a fear of public speaking, which means many people have a big, huge fear of what I'm doing right now in front of a camera speaking to you in your living room in your pajamas, fear of rejection, fear of making the wrong decisions, fear that we will somehow mess up our entire lives or mess up someone else's life by making the wrong decision, fear other people's opinions, fear that, we, that if we make a decision, other people won't approve, um, fear of saying the wrong thing, which by the way, goes really great hand in hand with a fear of public speaking. Imagine you have a fear of public speaking and a fear of saying the wrong things. You may never get out of bed if you, if you ever have to do a presentation for work. Um, fear of being exposed as an imposter, fear of commitment, fear of actually taking a step of commitment in a relationship or holding on to, on to, on to commitment, um, fear of responsibility, fear of challenge, fear of missing out. And what's interesting about all of that is if you know, is that there's something that I hope that you would notice on that list because when I saw that list, this stood out to me like a sore thumb. The very first and most common fear, and most common by a long stretch, by the way, is fear of failure, is fear of failure. But what you notice if you're paying attention is this, Eight of the next 11 are just more defined versions of fear of failure. See, fear of public speaking, fear of rejection, fear of making the wrong decisions, fear of responsibility, fear of saying the wrong thing, fear of being exposed as an imposter, fear of commitment, fear of challenge, all of those are ultimately related to a fear of failure, right? I mean, we don't fear public speaking because we think we'll be awesome at it, right? Like, like it, there, there's nothing in the, like, man, I just, I'm terrified of giving a great presentation, like, we're not afraid of public speaking. We're afraid of speaking publicly 
poorly. We're afraid of doing a bad job of public speaking because we think if we do a bad job of public speaking, we will look ridiculous and other people's opinions of us will change. We fear that we will fail at public speaking. We fear that we will, uh, re we, when it comes to the fear of rejection, we fear that we'll fa fail at a relationship with someone and get rejected. Fear of making wrong decisions, it's fear that we'll fail of making good decisions. Fear of responsibility, it's actually fear that someone will give us responsibility and we will fail at being responsible. Fear of commitment, we're not afraid of committing, we're afraid of failing at commitment, that we'll commit to something and not be good enough to live up to or fulfill our commitments. And even though that sounds ridiculous for many of us, let's be honest, it doesn't actually sound ridiculous because that's the reality of where we live. And because we tend to live here so frequently, and so many of us tend to live here so frequently, we really do get stuck and paralyzed by that fear in our relationships, in our jobs, in our finances, in our parenting, in our involvement in the community. And oh yes, in our relationship with God, we get stuck because we are afraid of failing. We're afraid of doing what we know we probably should do and doing it wrong, that we will fail at doing the things that we know we should be should be doing. If I'm 100% honest, when I was at a crossroads of life at a, as a young adult trying to decide whether or not I would follow God's call on my life to become a pastor, one of the biggest things that was holding me back from saying yes was that I had a deep fear of public speaking. It's funny to look back on because now one of the things that, that I feel most confident in as a minister is the very thing that I was most afraid of, that I, I, I had a genuine deep fear that I would be a terrible preacher, that I would be a terrible public speaker. By the way, this is a really bad time to say amen online if you're thinking like, this will be really funny. It won't. Um, like, but that was a genuine deep fear of mine that I would be a terrible preacher. And I assume being a terrible preacher would me lead to me being a failure as a pastor. That fear very ne nearly kept me from missing out on a lifetime of full-time ministry. I know and I get fear of failure on a very deep level. And so today, just as much as I'm talking to you, I'm also talking about my, to myself and I'm talking from some experiences that I've had. And the funny thing about us as human beings is this, fear of failure paralyzes us and keeps us from what we're meant to experience. It keeps us from trying new things, keeps us from taking risks that we should be willing to take. We know the fear of failure is a dangerous thing. And yet in our craziness as human beings, we have actually developed language that allows us to speak about fear of failure as if it's a positive thing. We say things like, well, I'm a perfectionist. The reason I don't want to do that is I'm a perfectionist. If I can't do it perfect, I don't even want to do it. And what we're ultimately saying is if I can't do it, if I can't guarantee that I'll succeed, if I can't guarantee that I'll do it up to my standards or someone else's standards, I'm just not even going to do it because I'm a perfectionist. We do, or I, or I don't want to waste time on, time on things that I won't be good at right away. In other words, most of, I, I don't want to do anything that I'm not good at. I don't want to do anything that I can't guarantee, again, because I don't want to fail. I don't want to fail. What we're doing is we have attempted to make fear of failure into a virtue. When we start saying things like, well, I don't want to do that. I'm a, I'm a perfectionist. I don't want to do that because I don't want to waste time on, I, like, you know, someone else can do that because this isn't my, my thing. What we're ultimately trying to do is we're trying to make our fear of failure into a virtue. In our fear, we have spun our fear and paralysis into something that we try to present as good and healthy and positive. See, here's the thing. When we try to do that, we're trying to avoid failure. Our fear of failure is ultimately, we think that our fear of failure and avoiding failure will keep us from failure. To put it this way, we think fear of failure will protect us from failure. Unfortunately, fear of failure will only protect us from progress. See, we think that avoiding failure will protect us 
from failure, will protect us from pain, will protect us from ridicule, will protect us from embarrassment, will protect us from other people realizing that we actually don't know what we're talking about, from shame, regret, and the list goes on and on and on. But can I tell you what you already know? You can avoid failure and be afraid of failure, and you can still experience failure. You can still experience pain. You can still experience regret. You can still experience embarrassment. You can still experience ridicule. You can still experience other people realizing that you're a fraud. You can fail, in fact, by trying to avoid failure. You can still live with regret while not taking risks. You can still end up embarrassed even while living to avoid embarrassment. And can I tell it, push this a little bit further and maybe push this to a point where we actually understand this? Sometimes your desire to avoid risk and avoid failure will be the reason that you fail and end up embarrassed and experience pain. Attempting to avoid failure does not protect us from failure. Attempting to avoid failure only protects us from progress. It protects us from moving forward. You're like, that's not protection. You're right. It keeps us paralyzed. It keeps us from moving forward. It keeps us from growing. It keeps us from experiencing and stepping into the the next phase of life. It keeps us from becoming and experiencing everything, the person that God created us to be and experiencing everything that God created us to experience. The only thing that a fear of failure actually protects us from is progress, is growth is positive change. Attempting to avoid failure doesn't actually keep us from avoiding failure. It only keeps us from avoiding progress. So the question becomes, how do we face that fear? How do we face that fear? How do we stand up to that fear, in that fear that so many of us have and so many of us live with and so many of us, maybe this is the first time that you're actually putting words to be going, yeah, that's kind of where I live. How do we face that fear? If, 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 if we're supposed to live with a fear of God that would help us to overcome and face our, the, the things that, that we have feared and, and live with them and face them in a way that, that moves us beyond them, how do we face that fear? How do we allow our faith in God to fuel our confidence in the face of our fear or failure? One of the best examples of that actually comes to us from, from the Old Testament, from the story of, of the nation of Israel after they left Egypt And as they were about to go into the land, into the land God had promised their ancestors long, long, long ago to start, it begins in Numbers chapter 13. As they're about to go into, they've left Egypt. They are now in the wilderness and they're at the border of the promised land. Here's what we're told. The Lord now said to Moses, send out men to explore the land of Canaan, the land I'm giving to the Israelites. Send one leader from each of the 12 ancestral tribes. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He sent out 12 men, all tribal leaders of Israel, from their camp in the wilderness of Paran. Now, to give a little bit more context here, Moses is the leader who led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. These are people who have seen the 10 plagues of God that God brought on the land of Egypt in order to free them. These are people who have walked on dry grand ground through the parted Red Sea. These are people who stood at the foot of Mount Sinai and saw God's presence at the peak communicating his law to Moses. These are people who have eaten manna and quail miraculously provided by God day in and day and night. These are people who have seen the pillar of fire by night to lead them and a pillar of cloud by day to lead them as God would lead and direct them to the promised land. These are people who have experienced God's saving and freeing power in miraculous and unmistakable ways. And this episode is without a doubt within the first year of after they left Egypt. We don't know if it's four months or six months or 12 months, but we have relative confidence that this wasn't more than a year after leaving Egypt. It took them one year to get 
to Canaan, the land that God had promised to their ancestors. And here's what we're told in verse 17. Moses gave the men these instructions as he sent them out to explore the land. Go north through the Negev into the hill country. See what the land is like and find out whether the people living there are strong or weak, few or many. See what kind of land they live in. Is it good or bad? Do their towns have walls or are they unprotected like open camps? Is the soil fertile or poor? Are there many trees? Do your best to bring back samples of the crops that you see. It happened to be the season for harvesting the first ripe grapes. Now, here's the thing. Moses wanted a report of the land. That is wise. This is the land that God promised us. Is it good? Is it fertile? Can it support and sustain us? We know God is good. Is the land good? We know God, we know God is good. We hope, the pro, we hope the promised land is good. We want to figure out and have a good idea of what it's going to take to receive this promised land. So Moses sends these men to get a report and to discover what it's going to be like to live in the land that God has promised them and what it's going to take to live in the land that God has promised them. Verse 25 tells us this. After exploring the land for 40 days, this wasn't just like a weekend. This wasn't just a, a, a single day. This wasn't just a quick trip in and out. This was 40 days there. After exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses, Aaron, and the whole community of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. They reported to the whole community what they had seen and showed them the fruit they had taken from the land. This was their report to Moses. We entered the land that you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here's the kind of fruit it produces. And they showed them these grapes. The grapes were so large, it took two men carrying a pole with the grapes between them because the grapes were so large. He said, Here's, this is the type of fruit the land produces. They're going, yo, yo, the land is good. The land is good. It's fertile. The grapes are so big, we had to put them on a pole and carry them between two people. It flows with milk and honey. This is a good land. Not only is God good, but the land that he promised us is good. What God has promised, and this is just an important thing to remind us before we move on to the rest of the story. What God has promised us is always good and always for our good. What God has promised us is always good and for our good. What lays ahead, the thing that you are supposed to seize, the thing that you're supposed to walk into, the person that you're supposed to become, what you're supposed to do with your life. When God promises, when God calls, when God says, this is for you, it is always good and it is for our good. There is no fear in stepping into what God has for you because what God has promised us is good. And because what God has promised is not just good on a global scale and a good for God scale, but is also for our good. In the same way that God had promised them the land and they had now discovered that the promised land is good, what we step into when we step into God's promise is always good and for our good. It is good for you. It is good for the world. What God promised us is good and what it is good for us. It is always good for us and good for the world. Now, that being said, if you've studied the Bible, you know what's coming next. If you have ever been paralyzed by the fear of failure, you know what's coming next. They said the land is good, but the land is good. Look, look at the fruit. It's flown with everything that we would want, but, but, but. It's good, but. It sounds amazing. It looks amazing, but. I probably should apply. Here's how this looks in life. I probably should apply, but I should probably start working out a little bit more, but I should be more intentional with my kids, but 
I know that's what God has asked me to do right now, but, and let me just tell you this, and this is going to sound funny as I say it, our buts reveal our fears. Our buts reveal our fears. Again, I probably should apply, but what if I fail? I probably should, I I probably should start working out more, but what if I don't stick with it? I, I, I know I should be more intentional with my kids, but what if it's too hard and what if I don't do a good job and I'm not the dad that I hope I could be? I know that's what God is asking us to do, me to do right now, but what if I do what God wants me to do and I end up in the poorhouse? Our butts reveal our fears. At whatever, whatever our butt, whatever comes after butt, it reveals what we're truly afraid of and who we truly fear and what we truly fear and what we're most afraid of would, would happen if we take the step that we know we probably should take. Theirs is about, about to be revealed. We know the land is good. We know it's flowing with milk and honey. We know these grapes are ginormous. I mean, they're like the size of my head. We know it's good. The land is fertile. They're, they're like, we know all of that. But, but the people living there are powerful and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. The Amalekites live in the Negev and the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. In other words, we saw all the good. We also saw all of their strength. And these guys are strong. We saw all the opportunity that lays before us, but we also saw the opposition. We saw all the potential, but we also saw all of their power. We saw the milk and honey, but we also saw the might in their homies. I mean, like, that, that's just fine. Like we, like, we saw the potential and we saw the promise, but we also saw all of the problems and all of the reasons that we can't go. So yes, it's good, but we can't go there. Yes, it's good, but it's not for us. Yes, God promised it to us and we know we should receive it, but we are scared out of our minds because we saw the people there and they are strong and they are protected and their cities have walls and they're taller than us and they're bigger than us and they're stronger than us. And I don't think we could take it from them. And in verse 30 then, we're told this, that the majority of the crowd said this, but Caleb, tried, one of the men who had went, one of the 12 who had went, Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once to take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. You're like, wait, 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 wait. These guys all saw it and came back with the same report. Caleb goes, sees all the same stuff, and he comes back saying, no, 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 let's go now. Let's go this very moment. Let's go now. We can certainly take the land and conquer the people. These guys are the example of people who are not crippled or paralyzed by the fear of failure. They are not oblivious to the challenges. I think sometimes when we read this, and I think I've been guilty of this, well, they don't really understand the challenges. They're, maybe, maybe they're too young and they're too ambitious and they're, like, they're not acknowledging the reality of the challenges that they face. But they are not unaware of the challenges. They are not oblivious to the strength of these people. They simply believe God's power and God's promise is stronger than their enemies. They simply believe that what they've seen God do is more impressive than, the, than what they've seen from these people. See, here's the thing. Faith causes you to see what fear can never see. Faith causes you to see what fear can never see. They believe with God and because of God, they cannot fail. 
They cannot fail with God with them. They cannot fail because God is with them. Because of their faith, they see the opportunity more than they see the opposition. They see the potential more than they see their enemy's power. They see milk and honey where others only see the might. They see good. They see the promise. And everything else is just details to be worked out by the promise maker. For some of us in life, when we come upon a situation, all we see is the obstacles. All we see is the opposition. All we see is the, is the fear. All we see is someone else's strength. All we see is the risk. And at the end of the day, when God calls us somewhere, when God instructs us to take a step, when God requires of us to do something, it is because it is good and it is for our good. And our faith in our God our faith in God who made the promise, our faith in God who called us forward, our faith in God who instructs us in, 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 in His ways. He does not call us to failure. He calls us towards Himself. He calls us towards what He wants, us for, wants for us. He calls us towards the life that He has for us. And our faith, our faith in Him should cause us to see the world differently. Our faith should cause us to see things that our fear does not allow us to see. Our faith should drive us to see the opportunities where other people only see the obstacles. Our faith should call us to see peace where other people only see anxiety. Our fear should call us to see opportunity where other people only see risk. Our faith should, see, should allow us to see what God wants us to see and allow everything else to just be details that God is going to work out for us. Now, the story would go on in verse 31. Here's what happened next. But the other men who had explored the land with them disagreed. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers, and that's what they thought too. Now, here's something we got to understand. Fear is a liar. Fear is a liar. Always has been, always will be. Fear is a liar. Fear is a liar. Unfortunately, what the fear of failure does is fear doesn't just tell us lies and cause us to believe lies and say, you're going to fail, you're going to fail, you can't succeed, you can't succeed, you can't succeed. Unfortunately, the fear of failure is not just a liar. Fear of failure is a liar and it turns us into liars. It turns us into liars. Here's what happened with these people. They go, and because they're dis in disagreement about whether or not they should go, nobody disagrees that the land is good. They just disagree about whether or not they should go now to attack and to receive the promise of God. What happens is because they are in disagreement, they start to try to win people over to their side by giving, by spreading a bad, false report about the land. They go tell people that the land is not good. They say about the what the about the land, what is not true about the land. Fear makes them into a liar in order to keep them from in, in order to keep them from looking bad, in order to keep them from looking fearful. They go and they start telling lies about the land. But also if you notice, we felt like grasshoppers and we looked the, and that's what they thought too. Oh, so you went and you talked to the enemy? You went and you asked them, hey, do we look like grasshoppers to you? No, you have, you're, you're interpreting. You're putting words into their mouth. You're lying and you're putting lies into someone else's mouth. Fear of failure is a liar and it turns 
into a liar. It turns us into liars. We start to tell ourselves things that are not true. This is what we do so, so often. We convince ourselves of things that aren't true and never were true. We tell ourselves and other people lies about why we aren't stepping out or stepping up or moving forward or taking a chance or being obedient to God. Every time we convince ourselves of things that are not true because of fear, we are allowing fear of failure to turn us into a liar. When we convince ourselves of certainties that are not certain because of fear, we are allowing the fear of failure to turn us into liars. When we convince ourselves of inevitabilities that are not inevitable because of fear, we are allowing ourselves to be transformed into liars. And I'll just tell you this, fear's lies must be faced with God's truth. This is the way we move past our fear of failure. Fear's lies must be faced with God's truth. In your head, in your heart, in your family, in your career, in your mental health, in your physical health, fear's lies, the things that fear has told you, the things that fear has led you to believe, and maybe even the things that fear has led you to repeat as reasons that you can't move forward to other people. Fear's lies must be faced with God's truth. There are things there are things that you currently believe as lies that have paralyzed you with fear. It is time to confront them with God's truth. And until you do, you will not move forward. But when you do, the moment that you do, God's truth, it will make you free and it will move you forward. Fear's lies must be faced with God's truth. And Joshua and Caleb begin to do that in, in, in the next chapter, Numbers chapter 14. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down on the ground before the whole community of Israel. Two of the men who had explored the land, Joshua son of Nun and Caleb son of Jephunneh, tore their clothing. They said to all of the people of Israel, the land that we traveled through and explored is a wonderful land. In other words, don't you dare believe the lie that God's promise is no good. God's promise is good and it is good for us. What God promised us is very, very good. It is wonderful. And yes, there's opposition, but we can face that if one thing is true. If one thing is true, we can face the opposition. We can face their power. We can overcome their strength. We can overcome everything that lies in front of us and to receive everything that lies in front of us. If one thing is true, and here's the one thing that they said, and if the Lord is pleased with us, and if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us safely into that land and give it to us. It is a rich land flowing with milk and honey. Do not rebel against the Lord and don't be afraid of the people of the land. They are only helpless prey to us. They have no protection, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. This is so fascinating. If the Lord is pleased with us, if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us safely into the land that he promised us and give it to us. It's a land rich and flowing with milk and honey. Don't, don't, don't rebel against the Lord. Don't, don't, don't make God unhappy with you. Those people, said the people that these guys want you to fear, they actually don't have any protection. I know these guys said they have swords and they have spears and they have shields, but they don't have any protection like we have. We have a protection they don't have because the Lord is with us. So don't be afraid of them when you should have, be a, be, have a fear of the Lord. Don't be afraid of them when you should have a fear of the Lord. If the Lord is with us, 
This is what we talked about last week. I fear the Lord. I have no reason to fear anything else. I fear the Lord. I'm going to walk in His calling. I have nothing to fear. I fear the Lord. I'm going to seek His promises. I have nothing to fear. I fear the Lord. I'm going to walk in His ways. I have nothing to fear. Once again, the only thing that we have to fear is fearing failure so much that we fail to follow God. The, let, me, let me just say that again. The only thing we have to fear is fearing a failure so much that we fail to follow God. This unfortunate passage of Scripture, this unfortunate passage of Scripture unfortunately ends with the nation of Israel siding with the ten instead of the two, siding with the fearful ten instead of the faithful two, choosing fear over choosing faith, choosing the vo- to listen to the voices of fear over the voices of faith, choosing to fear failure instead of following the Lord. And in the midst of their rebellion, God actually made another promise that only two people from that generation would ever st- set foot into the promised land. Does anyone want to guess who those two men were? God made the promise then and there that only Joshua and Caleb The only two men who saw with eyes of faith instead of eyes of fear, those would be the two men who saw the opportunity instead of the opposition. The two men who knew failure was a possibility but placed their trust in God's promise. Those would be the two men who would not only step into the promised land, but 39 years later would lead the people of God into God's promise. And I just want to, as we, as we close out today, I want to remind us of something incredibly important, incredibly powerful, that I believe if, if this became our thinking, if this become, became our way of, of operating, if this became our way of trusting, just like it was for Joshua and Caleb, this would be the thing that would move us past our fear of failure. That wherever God calls, promises, commands, and guides, He also protects, paves, prepares, and provides. Wherever God calls, promises, commands, and guides, wherever God calls us to go, wherever God promises, whatever God promises to us, whatever God commands us to do, and wherever God guides us and leads us to go, wherever that is and whatever that is, He will also protect us. He will pave the way for us. He will prepare us for it, and He will provide so that it will be good for us. Let me just break those down a little bit. He protects meaning that he will actually place a hedge of protection around you to spare you from that which could destroy you. Not that which could, not everything that could harm you, but everything that could destroy you. God protects us. Just as Joshua and Caleb said, those guys, they have swords and they have shields and they have spears and they have iron and they have everything that we don't have. But I'll tell you what they don't have. They don't have any protection. You're thinking, oh, but you just said they have swords and spears and shields. Yeah, but they don't have our God. Our God is a larger source of protection than all the swords, all the shields, all the spears, all of the military might, all of the strength, all of the opposite. Our God protects us in a way that that does not. Our God, will prote- he protects us where he calls us, where he guides us, whatever he promises, he will protect us on the path there. He also paves, he paves the way, he makes a way where there is no way. He makes a way where there seems to be no way, where we look and go, there's no way forward here. God says, not yet. Well, like, but, but there's, there's no way we overcome their strength. Well, not yet. He makes a way. He paves the way. Where all we see is rough ground and rough terrain, God goes, I see a highway. 
I just haven't built it yet. But I will make the way where right now you see no way. He will make a way for us to experience everything that he's called us to, everything that he has promised, everything that he has commanded us to move towards and everything that he's led us into. He will make our paths straight. He prepares us. He prepares you for the future that he has for you. He makes you ready exactly when you need to be ready. You're like, I look towards the future and I see what God wants me to move towards and I understand it's the future that God has for me, but I can't live in there. I, I can't do that. I won't be a good husband. I won't be a good mother. I won't be a good dad. I won't, I'll, I'll, I won't be a good boss. I won't be a good this. I won't be a good that. And I think sometimes God looks at it and he goes, yeah, but that's why I'm not calling you to it right now. But I'm gonna prepare you for the future so that as you move towards it step by step by step by step by step, the moment that you get there, you'll be ready for it because I have prepared you and I've made you into the person that I want you to be. He also finally provides. He gives everything that you need, not everything you think you need, but everything that you actually need. Everything that you actually need to live, to 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 follow God's call and to experience, to receive God's promise and to and to live out God's commands and to and to follow where He guides. He will provide everything that you need, every bit of finances that you need, every bit of character that you need, every bit of integrity that you need, every bit of support that you need, every bit of everything. God will provide it for you because that's who He is and that's what He does. One final verse later in the in the New Testament in the New Testament. The author of Hebrews would, would write this verse that I think is, is, is maybe just a, an explanation of everything that Joshua and Caleb embodied, everything that this last phrase embodied. But here's, here's the scripture in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. For he who promised, he who calls, he who guides, he who leads, he who points the way, he says, this is the way. He who commands, he who does all of that is faithful to you. And because he's faithful to you, we can place our faith in him. Because he's faithful to you, because he's faithful to provide, because he's faithful to prepare you, because he's faithful to pave the way for you, because he's faithful to protect you, because he's faithful to do all of that and more, because he's faithful, we can place our faith in him. And when our faith is in him, we have no reason to fear and we have no reason to fear failure because he who called is faithful and he who commands is faithful and he who promises is faithful and he who paves and he who points the way is faithful. He is faithful to you. Would you place your faith in him and would you allow your faith in him to move your past, your fear of failure. What he has promised you is good and is good for you. What he has called you to is good and is good towards you. What he has commanded you to do is good and is good for you. He is faithful always. And he will be faithful to you and he will be faithful for you. You can place your faith in him and you will never be abandoned. You will never walk alone. You will never be in despair. You will never be without because God will provide and he will protect and he will pave and he will prepare you. That's why you can move past your fear of failure because God will be with you and he who is with you is faithful to you and faithful for you. That's how we face the fear of failure and that's how we move past the fear of failure. We move past fear of failure by our faith 
in our God and in his ability to provide and to protect and to care for us and to pave the way for us and to prepare us for whatever he has for us next. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you are so good. Thank you that you love us so much. Thank you that you are faithful to us. Thank you that what you have promised us is good and is good for us. Thank you that what you call us towards is good and is good towards us. Thank you that what you command us to do is good and it is good for us. Thank you that everything that you do, everything that you lead us towards, everything that you have in our future, everything that you have in our today, it is good and it is good for us. So Lord, I just simply pray that God, where we tend to be so paralyzed by our fear of failure, where we don't apply for the job, where we don't take the exam, where we don't try to get the license, where we don't ask that person out on the date, where we don't have the difficult conversation because we're afraid it might not go well. God, I pray that for every step of the way where, we're, where we are paralyzed by our fear of failure, God, I pray that that would be no, more, no longer true of us. God, that our faith in you would be stronger than our fear of failure. And it would allow us to move forward. It allow us to step into whatever you have for us. It allow us to be the people that you want us to be. It allow us to step on forward on whatever path you have for us. I pray simply that our faith in you would be stronger and larger and bigger than our fear of anything less and our fear of anything worse. God, I pray that fear would know that where, where lies have taken the place of our faith, where we have believed fears and lies, and maybe we've repeated fears and lies, and maybe we have embodied fearless lies, I pray that we would confront them with your truth. And your truth would be strong enough to overcome fear's lies and would draw us towards you and would lead us out as to be the people that you want us to be. So God, move us forward. Have the, help us to have the wisdom to know what to do with what we just heard and help us to have the courage to actually put it into practice. And God, as we do this, make us into the people you want us to be. We want to live fearless. We don't want to live as people who are afraid. We want to live as people of faith. So help us to do that, God. We love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.